If you've got a pencil and a piece of paper, a pen, some sort of writing utensil, you may want to write down the scriptures today because I'm going to cover several. I realized when I was putting this together, this is probably, could have been its own four-part series, but it's falling within our series on healing, and it's all going to come out in one day. And that is the fact that we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual side. That we as humans are made up of four parts. Mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. That's not just us as believers. That is all humanity has these four sides. And God cares about each part of your being. He doesn't just care about your soul, although he does. He was willing to sacrifice his own son. But when he created you, he created you to be a unique individual. And as such, each of these parts make up part of our humanity. And each of these parts, when they're out of balance, causes us to not feel whole and complete. And so I want to talk about the four parts today because I believe God cares about each one. And a lot of my series so far has been on the idea that there's physical healing and I still believe it happens today. But the emotional and spiritual and mental side, I think are critical for us to understand how God created us to be and why we're in this broken state that we're in. So the mental side, your actual mind, it talks about in scripture how God gave you a sound mind. He has not given us a spirit of fear, right? He's given us this this sound mind. And the problem is, we're still in a broken world and a broken down state. And so, we have the mental side of being a person, and yet, oftentimes, that mental side struggles because the smallest thing out of balance in our body or in our life or in our environment can cause strain on that mental side. Mark 5, 1 through 20, that's a huge passage, but it's the story of Jesus. And he goes to this city and they have this man and they're like, oh, he's basically he's crazy. He's a lunatic. He's insane. And Jesus goes out and he deals with the man and it says he casts a spirit out of him. But first off, he asks who this is. And this is, we're legion because we're many. And it shows that Jesus isn't afraid to go up against the spiritual forces. But what was creating in this man was not a physical ailment, but was a mental anguish. And we get this picture, this glimpse that God sees the mental side just as important as the spiritual side. And we see that because he doesn't go in and tell this man, you've got to change your behavior and change your life and get saved. What does Jesus do? He speaks to the Spirit and he casts him out. And then he offers hope to this man. And when the man goes back into town, they can't even believe it's him because he's so so different than he was. So your mental side is this. It contains your memories. It's been said that life is simply a series of memories. That's your story, where you came from who you are, the good and the bad, the trauma and the glory, the difficult things you faced, those are all memories. Those are all the mental side. And those can wear on us. They can weaken us. They can weigh us down. But it's still part of your story. 
And see, God is in the redemption business, which means he takes the ugly, messy parts of your story and he doesn't throw them away. He doesn't act like you aren't good enough. He takes those parts and sometimes those become the most glorious parts of who we are in Christ. The ugliness and the messiness of the abuse, whether it was self-inflicted or inflicted by somebody else, the ugly and messy side of addiction. Addiction is both a physical and a mental side. And he looks at that and he says, you're not worthless because of what someone did to you, but I see your value in spite of what was done to you. And so the stories we have, like I said, the good and the bad, life itself is literally made up of memories. You have no idea what's going to happen in the future. You might have some ideas like, oh, I've got a vacation planned. That's good. That's something to look forward to. Please do. I've got this coming up. The holidays are right ahead of us. I'm excited for Thanksgiving. I make my annual trek back to see my family in Wisconsin, the old country as I call it. It's similar to stepping in a time machine. We step back 25, 30 years, enjoy life for a week, and then come back. That's what life is, is memories and stories. That's the mental side. Your belief system The things that you say, this is the way things are, those are stored in your memories. Your core values, the things that you don't compromise, they're ingrained in us as children. Now they can change through both time and experience. The experiences you have can change your values. At one time you may have been a hard line, whatever it is, and always voted this way, but now you've experienced more life and you go, oh, I grew up a little bit. My perspective changed. I view things differently. Now I vote this way. That's all the mental side. That's where that's stored. That's where those decisions are made. A new believer in Christ, the hope is that they are a new creature. Old things have passed away. You're going to think differently. Your response to people may become different because you are not the same person you were. That's, again, the mental side. All of that falls under who we are mentally. However... We can also have these mental beliefs that are unhealthy. Maybe they were used to cope. If you came out of an abusive relationship, you learn to cope and you learn to survive. But then when you're out of that relationship, if you don't change some of those patterns, you won't be able to step into healthy relationships later. If you want to have healthy relationships down the road, you have to deal with the past pain and trauma and nobody wants to do that. Very few people go, can't wait to go to therapy because I got a lot going on. No, people are like, don't want to go to therapy, especially if I got a lot going on. Because that mental side is painful. Am I right, Jim? You're a full-time therapist, you know. People don't want to go see Jim. I do, I like seeing Jim. But he's probably a lot like the dentist to some people. He's pulling those mental teeth. The second part is our emotional side. It's what you feel. Jonah chapter 4 is a great perspective of this. Read the book of Jonah chapter 4. He does, he fights God, he does what God tells him to do, then when he does it, he's angry that God saves the people. How many of us in our lives want people to have justice more than we want people to have salvation? We want people to get what they have coming to them because of how they treated us, what they said, who they are, and yet we still believe, no, everybody deserves forgiveness, except for that person because you don't know what they did. I've had people literally tell me, you don't know what my father did to me. I'm like, you're right, I don't. Let's talk about that. I don't want to talk about it. Then you're never going to move beyond it. I'm sorry that they inflicted pain. And I'm sorry that they abused you. And I'm sorry that they hurt you. And I'm sorry that they weren't a good parent. 
But if you don't talk about it, you'll never move forward and you'll never deal with the emotional side. The advantage of a strong mental side is it allows us to feel our emotions. It's not good to just stuff it all down. That's what I did for most of my life. I grew up in a culture very stoic and very reserved. We didn't show emotion, and the only emotion you could really show is anger. And I wasn't allowed to show that because I'm a Christian, so we can't be angry. So don't show anything. And so when I have a, a complete meltdown 10 years ago, and I'm a mess, and we start talking about things, you know, they were like, one of the things I still remember is, I'm surprised it took you this long to melt down, is what the therapist said. I'm like, how dare you? But you're right. Why did he say that? Because I hadn't ever dealt with emotion. I hadn't cried that I could remember in about seven years, because we were talking about, when was the last time you just shed tears? About seven years. We'd lost a baby in that time period, and I didn't cry. And he goes, that's not healthy, Jeff. And I'm like, what do you mean that's not healthy? I'm strong. And he apparently thought I should be emotionally broken losing a child. And I began to work through that and understand when I shut down and why it had become so hard. And then once I did, this wave of emotion came over me, and now I cry every time I'm watching a Hallmark commercial. I'm like, oh, the puppy. Look at the puppy. I try not to do it as much in front of people, but there was a period where everywhere I went, I was just this. And it didn't make me emotionally weak. It made me emotionally vulnerable, but it also meant I was finally starting to feel things, and I hadn't felt for so long. Emotional... I learned this when I was going through counseling. There are 32 defined emotions. I thought there were like four. You're happy, you're sad, you're mad, you're something else. I don't know. I can't describe it. There's 32 defined emotions. People often say, I feel, and they'll put that, I feel tired. That's not an emotion. That's not actually something technically that you're feeling. Emotions are what we actually feel. Tired and hungry are not emotions. They're bodily response to stimuli. So now you're getting into the science part of today's lesson. So those of you who love science should love this part. When you say, I feel, feelings are actually emotions. And there are no wrong emotions. This is good for you to know because some of you think there's only some emotions are healthy. How we respond to emotions can be wrong, but there are no wrong emotions to feel. And so, if you were like me when you were taught, you can't be this, and you can't be that, and you can't be this, and you can never be angry, and you can never... That's not true. You can be those things. It's whether or not you admit it and deal with it. Because you're still feeling that, even if your parents say, we don't feel that way. Oh, okay. So now I'm shamed into not being honest with who I am. And then what happens is, I emotionally begin to shut down. And when I emotionally shut down... How can God possibly heal it when I deny that the wound exists? How can God possibly come in and make me experience his grace, his wholeness, his redemption, if I deny that there's even an emotional problem? And so what we've done as society and as Christians is we pretend I don't feel anything. I ignore the feelings because then I'm stronger, then I'm better, then I'm this. Now, nobody wants to be with that person who's an emotional wreck all the time. And every time you're there, they're just like using your sleeves as Kleenex because you can't possibly provide them. We don't want to be with that person. I get that. And yet at the same time, when we deny that we feel emotion, how is God supposed to come in and deal with our brokenness and our pain and help us to find that wholeness? 
We have to feel emotion. If we don't, we do things like this. We find ways to cover it up and to hide it. You guys wouldn't do this, but here's some of the things I did. I would eat, and not just eat because I was hungry. I would eat because I didn't want to feel emotion. I would drown myself in things that didn't require anything from me. Things like social media, television, because then, or movies. I can put up the screen. Nobody talks to you when you're in a movie. If they do, you go, shh, good part coming up. I would find ways to hide behind that so that I wasn't dealing with. The emotions are still there. I'm just not in touch, in tune with them. How is God supposed to work in and through me when I found these mechanisms to hide behind? Emotions are real and they matter. And if you want to experience the wholeness that God has for you, you have to deal with them and allow him to come in and heal. And when he comes in and heals, it stirs things up and it's sometimes painful. The third part of your body is the physical part. We see many occurrences where Jesus comes in and physically heals people. And yet, what is more important to Jesus when he heals them? (coughs) The spiritual side. He looks and he says, take up your mat and walk and your sins are forgiven. He heals the blind man. He heals people and he tells them, don't tell anybody what I've done. Because he doesn't want the glory, he doesn't want the credit. What he wants is to see people whole. And I think it happens all the time today still. Jesus heals people in different ways. And they don't recognize that it's even Jesus working in them and through them. Pain, sickness, weakness, those are all physical. And it never says you'll never have to deal with them. I talked last week that we are not an immortal people. We are all mortal. We are all going to die. And none of us knows that moment, but it's reality and it's truth. And I talked last week that I've prayed for people and they weren't healed. And so now I have to ask myself, and again today, I have to ask myself, am I willing to pray for people and believe that God can heal them even when I've seen him not do it? And see, that's the question I have to ask myself. That's where my faith comes in. And so I have to ask myself, am I willing to do this? Because I'm putting myself out there. I'm becoming vulnerable. I'm putting in emotion. I'm putting in the mental and the physical and that emotional part into that. And then I start to question my own spirituality. Am I enough? God, am I really enough? Because I wanted to see healing and I didn't see it. And I have to go back to this constantly. It's not my job to heal people. It's my job to act in faith, to pray for them. And I want to see us be immortal, but we're not. And we live in a broken world, but someday we won't have to experience the pain of this world. Not because we're so great or I'm so worthy, but because God is so good. And so we are going to experience physical pain, and that's not the world that he desires for us to walk in. He desires for us to walk in wholeness. And so I have to trust him in this mix of muddiness and murkiness to see and to lead and to guide. The other night, Tracy and I, our new hobby is painting. We, uh, we've taken it up. Uh, she's quite the paintress. I go along because eh, it's something to do. And uh, I'm mixing my colors, and everything I mix comes out this murky shade of gray, brown kind of a bray, if you will, a brown gray. We're mixing blue and 
you know, yellow, it'll make green. No, mine made gray-brown. We're mixing white and yellow. It'll make light yellow. Mine's gray-brown. I don't know how I do it. I defy it. And I begin to put things on the canvas, and everything's just dark and murky. And this is a crazy example, but when I was painting the other night, all I could see is, this is my life. This is all dark and murky. And yet at the end, somehow I had a tree and some leaves and some water. But all along, I just kept thinking, this is too dark and too murky. And I'd like to say it was a masterpiece. It wasn't quite. Oh, thank you. But the reality is that's where we live our lives. We live in this murkiness. This murkiness. And yet when God sees it, he sees it just as my wife did. That's beautiful. That's what you got to say. That's so good. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> but God sees the beauty in it. But sometimes when we're walking through that pain, all we see is the murkiness. And when we look at our lives, all we see is this mixture that doesn't make sense. The fourth part of our humanity is our spiritual side, the part that's eternal. 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18 says this. Sorry, I moved my bookmark when I was writing down some stuff. Again, that's 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 16. Therefore, do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are unseen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not, those are eternal. I read that scripture to my friend just a month ago while she was in the hospital. And she's not with us anymore. And it doesn't make sense to me. And I'm reading about those things that are not seen are temporal. And I have to remember there's something greater. And this is where our spiritual side comes in. Where our faith comes from. My faith doesn't come from God doing what I want him to do when I want him to do it. My faith comes because I believe in who he is and what he said. And if I believe in who he is and what he said, it's not about what happens today. It's about eternal. And if I remember, time is linear. Time is not Circular and time is not a box, which linear God means from before creation God existed to after my life on earth God exists. Then I have to either decide whether I trust and believe what he says or I don't trust and believe what he says. And now the hard part of all of that is I don't get my way in the midst of it. And I don't like not getting my way. Maybe I'm the only one, but I like to get my way. And my way says, this doesn't happen to my friends, and this doesn't happen to my church, and this doesn't happen to my family. But the reality is, we're in a world where things are falling apart. And our spiritual side is the eternal side of us. The physical is going to be gone, but the spiritual is going to carry on. The things that are here are temporal, and the things that go on are eternal. This is where my faith matters. This is my desire to know God is in the spiritual part. The sense of belief and the sense of doubt the reason I tell people all the time, it's okay to doubt, because that comes from the same cortex in your brain. Belief and doubt are in the exact same place in your brain. And if you never, if, there are people who go, I've never had a doubt. Awesome. And there are people who say, oh, I don't believe any of it. Okay. Now, 
that means you're a doubter. Now I can do something. I can take you from doubt to at least showing you personally what I've experienced. I don't fear doubt. I fear people to get partway through doubt and then go, well, I quit then. This is where I stopped my spiritual journey because I started to doubt. Of course you should doubt at times. That's the very idea of faith. Faith that is not tried and tested is not genuine. It tells us that in Scripture, that faith is tested, and that's how we know it's real. And so there are times that push us and press us, and we go, God, where are you in this? And that's okay, because at the other side of that is where we see the beauty and the glory. I was on a hike one time, and we were going up this kind of the backside of the mountain, and I was done. We left early in the morning. Um, I don't remember how early we left, but my wife was pregnant at the time and couldn't go with us, and she's the one that enjoys things like this, and I hate things like this, and I'm with her, like, I'm with her cousin and her cousin's dad, and I don't remember who else was in our group. There was a group of about 10 of us, and we're hiking, and we're going up Pikes Peak, and we leave at like 4 in the morning, and it's like an 8-hour hike or 9-hour hike. I like about a 20-minute hike and then a nice vista that I sit on, and then a car ride down. That's what I like. And we keep going, and they're like, oh, this is going to be the best view, going to be the best view. You're going to love it when we get there. They keep telling me that. So we keep trudging, and we make it up. And we actually had planned on hiking up Pikes Peak, and then we take the last train of the day. There's a train that goes up. We'll catch the last train and take that down, get the scenic view on the way down. We get about two-thirds of the way up, and we're clouds. And we get to the top, and all I see is white, and I'm getting damp at the time. (laughs) And then finally, our train's going to leave at 3, and finally, the wind kind of comes through, and it clears it a little bit, and I've got about a five-minute picture. And here's what I discovered in that moment. This was here the whole time. I just couldn't see it. It was here the whole time. And I literally, other people that told me is like, the clouds blew out. It was clear for like five, ten minutes. It wasn't long. I don't remember. We got on the train. We came down, and then it was clear again once we got below the cloud line. And then the clouds moved right back in. But the picture was there the whole time. God sees that picture. And sometimes all we see is the cloud and the mist, and we don't think he's in charge, and we don't see him in it, and so we feel stuck and we feel trapped. That's sometimes our spiritual side because we don't see the outcome. We don't see the end of it. All we see is the start. All we see is the beginning. We don't see what can be. The beauty of what can be, or even the pain of what is yet to come. If any part of our body, if any part of our human is out of line, we may feel broken. Mental, emotional, physical, or spiritual. But God does not see us as broken. He views us as human. And because God views us as human... He sees that there are four parts of our being because he created us that way. And he sees the beauty and the perfection of who he created you to be. But he also knows because of our sin, we'll never see that in this lifetime. But we all have an opportunity. We can all choose to follow God. He desires for us to be whole. Job 3, 25 and 26 tells us this. Again, that's Job 3, if you want to read along. It says, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. doesn't mean we're out of alignment with God. The very thing he feared has come upon him, and he sees it, and he knows it, 
But he also, he knows that God is there with him. As we live in a fallen state, Genesis chapter 3 is all about that. In other words, man is sinful, and sin leads to brokenness because people sin against us and we sin against others. And so those parts become hard. We are not okay. The whole, I'm okay, you're okay, that's not true. You're not okay, and I'm not okay. But as long as I'm willing to recognize your humanity, and I know that you're in the process, it doesn't make it easy, and no one has the right to hurt you. If you're in an abusive relationship, talk to me. I will help you find a path out, because nobody has the right to hurt you. However, we live in a world of brokenness, and people are going to hurt us. Things hurt. But sometimes, good things hurt. When you get a vaccine, it hurts, but it protects you. Right? When you have surgery, it might hurt, and the recovery process may be difficult, but on the other side, you may feel better. So sometimes, things that hurt us actually do make us feel better. I'll go even back one page. When you start dealing with the emotional damage that you have, and you start seeing a therapist, it's painful. But it can make you better and more fully the human you were created to be. We are not, um, because we're in a broken and fallen state, we are never going to be fully capable of living the life that God desires for us in this earth. And yet, it tells us we press forward to what lies ahead. We keep reaching forward to who he is and what he's doing in us. And finally, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 tells us that God didn't create us to leave us there. That's not how he created us, was so that we were stuck. It says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The very God who spoke out of darkness gave his son Jesus so that we could have life, so that we could experience him. Shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ. In other words, he wants to reveal that to you and expose that to you because he knows our only hope, our only hope for today and our only hope for eternity is Jesus Christ. And that's what he desires for us to have. And when we don't grasp that, when we don't live that, when we don't walk in that, then we're left in the dark. He meets you in the dark and he draws you into the light. And whether you choose to walk into that light is up to you because there's plenty of people who have that encounter, and then do nothing with it. But he's inviting you to come into that light. Here's a couple of caveats that I wanted to give with this message. Depression is not a curse. Depression is not caused by sin or the result of sin of your life. Depression does not mean you are a bad person. Typical causes of depression are chemical imbalance, But there are a wide variety of causes. Because depression can be for a season. Depression can be from a traumatic brain injury or a stroke. The back right quadrant of your brain, I believe, now I'm going, now I'm double, it's either back left or back right. When you have an injury there or you have a stroke in that quadrant, depression is one of the side effects. Because it begins to create a chemical imbalance in you. You can't stop that chemical imbalance. You can take medications to try to get regulated. But what happens is that's also where your impulse control comes from. Your impulse control then tells you, 
you can't stop from doing certain things. And as you do that, then you feel hopeless and helpless. And I look and I go, that's not a mistake. God created our body to function in a certain way. And when something happens that knocks that out of alignment, it's, depression is no different than if you are on a run trying to get healthy, step off a curb run and break your ankle. I have a friend that did that. Jogging hurt him. I'm like, that's why you don't jog, people. A nice, brisk pace, but keep it under control. He's not a bad person because he was jogging, but something broke. People that struggle with depression are not bad people. There's something in their body that's not functioning right. You may or may not know that as you get older, depression is more common. I just learned that as I was studying for this series of messages. Depression is caused not just because people feel hopeless, but because as your body breaks down physically, your body also, your brain also begins to break down. Did you know your blood flow to your brain slows down as you age? It does. Healthy blood flow causes you to not forget why you walked from one room into the other. Anybody ever have that happen? Helps you remember your grocery list. I used to never write things down and I'd come home with everything on my list and it'd be a 20 item list. Now, if Tracy wants me to pick up cat food, I have to put it in my wonder list because I will not remember. I will drive all the way to the store for one item and forget why I went there. And I'm not that old yet. I haven't even hit middle age, I don't think. I plan to live to be 150, so I still got 20 years till middle age. (laughs) Depression is not a lack of faith. Depression is the same as any other illness or disease. However, we also need to treat it the same. We need to see a doctor or a physician. We need to get the proper medicine. We need to not self-diagnose and decide what we will and won't do. We need to follow it. If you have an an appendix that's acting up, you don't go, well, I don't really believe that I need an appendectomy. Since they say the appendix does nothing, I'll just think about not doing anything, and that's it. If your appendix ruptures, you will die. So even though your appendix does nothing, if it's acting up, get it taken care of. That's what I would tell anybody about any part of their body. Anything that's going on in your body, see your doctor. But the same thing is true with depression. We don't ignore it, we deal with it, and we get healthy. If any part of us is out of alignment of God, we may also feel depression. This was very interesting to me, this little tidbit that I read, and I'm wrapping up here in a moment. But it said, people who have a strong religious or spiritual walk, not just Christians, but a long, strong religious or spiritual, are more prone to depression. And I think part of that is you feel like you'll never live up to. And I'm here today to tell you, you don't have to live up to anything. You are accepted by God. I won't say you're good enough because you'll never be good enough to do it on your own. You will always need God intervening. But I will tell you this. You are wanted, you are worthy, you are loved, and you are acceptable by God. And the moment we think we're less than and can't be because of what I've done, who I am, what's been done to me, that's when we try to disqualify God. But you don't get to make that choice. You don't get to disqualify God. God looks at you and he says, you're enough. I don't know all the causes or all the reasons why people that have a strong spiritual belief are depressed, but what I know this is that is not what God desires for you. Don't allow yourself to become isolated. 
because depression leaves, leads people to alienation, avoidance of other people, loneliness, the list keeps going on. And all of these feelings cause us to be more isolated, which we then do. We stay away from people because I don't feel like I'm accepted. And then that vicious circle makes us feel more alone, more vulnerable. When in reality, they say one of the best things you can do if you're depressed is get out of your house and go do something where there are people. Some people are like, well, I did. I went for a walk by yourself probably. Literally, what they're saying is go where there's people and engage with those people. That's not the only solution. We still need to see a doctor. We still need to take care of things. But there is hope for us. So here's my conclusions. God can heal us no matter what our illness. Mental, physical, emotional, or spiritual. God is there in our midst and God can heal us. Number two, God desires for you to be whole. Yes, we live in a broken world, but he looks, he loves you, and he desires for us to be whole. So why do I sometimes still feel like distant or separated or whatever in one of these parts, in one of these areas? Because we're broken. And knowing God doesn't make me better than anyone else. It just means that he's there with me in my brokenness. And that's what we have, is him with us in our brokenness. So what am I doing wrong if I'm not healed? Nothing. If you've prayed to be healed and you're not, you're not doing something wrong. It's not some unknown sin or some unknown cause. Continue to seek healing and help from God, from medical professionals, from therapists. Find a path that leads you to healing. And trust him that he is going to meet you where you are. He's going to meet you right where you are. That's what he's going to do. You are not alone in this journey. And that's the beauty of it. We're here to come alongside you. We offer prayer support during worship, before services sometimes, after services, before services in the back room. From 9.15 to 9.45, come out and be prayed for. We have Wednesday night prayer if you need prayer. You can come once, you can come every week. We just want to invite you to come into that presence of God. Because that's the beauty of who God is. He looks and he doesn't fault you because you don't come all the time. He invites you when you're ready to come. Father God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for the congregation. I pray, God, that you would give us just your spirit of wisdom. I pray, Father God, that we would feel your spirit of healing over our church. God, we come against any illness and sickness, any drain mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or physically. God, we come against those things. We know that you are a God who desires to see us be whole and not just live in brokenness. Let us find that in you. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. All right, our congregational meeting. Again, James mentioned it. We've mentioned it a few times. You do not have to be, it's not a member meeting. It's if you belong to this church, you are invited to come. We'll cover the finances and we'll cover a little bit about what we hope to see in the coming year. We will start that meeting in about 22 minutes. So get yourself a cup of coffee. Grab yourself a cookie or whatever. I know we have cookies or muffins or something out there. Grab yourself something. Stick around. Come on back in. And our meeting should be done by 1215. Thanks. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.